Well, good morning, Carnegie Free. Good morning to everyone here in the auditorium and everyone in the venue today. So grateful to be with you this morning on a foggy day, but it's warm in here. Well, how about the home team yesterday winning the big game? I ain't talking about the Huskers. I'm talking about Lopers. How about those Lopers? Huskers too, yeah. Well, my name's Adrian. If we haven't yet met, I'm the lead pastor here at Carney Free, and I'd love to connect with you after the service if we haven't met each other. We are in a fall time series that we've titled The God That Jesus Revealed. And you just saw a bit of that in that bumper as we're dispelling some of the common myths that people have about God and seeking to understand a bit more who God is as revealed by the Son of God, the incarnation of God, Jesus Christ, God in flesh. It's my deep conviction that if we understand more and more the person of Jesus, as we grow and understand his character, our worship of God will soar. It's my deep conviction that as we get to know Christ, we will love God more. Our trust in God will increase. And so what we're doing here in this series is looking at a number of great stories from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in which we see portraits of the character of Christ that help us understand what God is like, both in the New Testament and what God is like in the Old Testament, because once again, Jesus reveals the Father for us. So just to do a really quick bit of review, we've been talking in these previous weeks amongst our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, our children's ministry downstairs, our life groups. This is an all-church series, and we've looked at the reality that God is totally holy, is He not? Other than, different than us, worthy of worship. And He has x-ray vision. He's not so much concerned with the outside of men and women. He's concerned with the heart, and He looks into the heart. And he encourages goof-ups, which, my, gives me hope every day. And we looked last week at the truth that he has clean anger. We had a guest speaker, Chris Sayers, and he spoke about the fact that God has a clean form of anger, that most of us get dirty in our anger, but God is clean in his anger, and also he's compassionate with children at the same time. And a couple weeks ago, if you were here, we had the joy of having uh, two leaders with us from Chicago, from Circle Urban Mission and the Rock of our Salvation Church, and we looked at Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well, and we were reminded how God likes diversity. Some of us say we like diversity, but basically we go to the same restaurants over and over again and get the same food over. God likes all of our differences. And so we're looking again at these beautiful portraits of Jesus, and today we're going to get into a portrait that is a little bit puzzling, I must admit. And it comes with a disclaimer this morning that Jesus says something that on the face of it feels pretty nasty. And uh, this is one of those moments where it's like, uh, Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, this could be on the cover of the book, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. He calls a woman a dog. Yikes. Any young eligible bachelors? This is a time not to follow the WWJD bracelet phenomenon. Okay? A word to the wise. You read this that 
He's going to refer to a woman like that. You say, what is going on? That doesn't fit the portrait that I have of Jesus. But as we unpack this a little bit, we actually understand from this passage though, that we're going to read that this includes good news for all dogs, including me. Matthew 15 is where we're going to start. Matthew 15, verse 21. You'll find it up on the screen. You can read along in your Bible as I am or in your phone, however you do it. And Jesus went away from there, from Galilee, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I'm sure you'd agree this is, in one sense, a very beautiful story of faith and healing. But in another sense, a story that does raise a lot of questions for us. On the surface, it kind of feels like he's saying, I have come for you people over here, and maybe for you people in the venue, but not for you people over here. On the surface, that's what it looks like. I've come for your kind, but not for your kind. Jesus, what's up with that? What is is going on here? This probably doesn't fit your portrait of Jesus, and it doesn't fit mine. But part of Jesus, you got to know, was stirring things up with people. And sometimes creating this cognitive dissonance, if you will, and heightening pressure on people only then to teach and to relieve that pressure valve and help people understand a greater truth that maybe they couldn't understand before. And I believe that's part of what he is doing here. But we should just admit that sometimes you kind of have to do a headstand in order to see Jesus smile, don't you? There are times you have to kind of stand upside down to see that smile on his face because he says things that we wouldn't think of that seem like they just don't fit our categories of the way Jesus should speak. And we tend to revise those statements that we don't like or ignore those statements that we don't like or skip over these passages that we don't like. What I want to say is the way we do things here at Carnegie Free, if you're a newcomer, is to actually approach these things that we don't like and to study them a little bit deeper and to trust that maybe God would reveal something about himself to us as we study his word a little bit deeper. And uh, sometimes as we do, he releases that pressure valve and we get to know something in a deeper way that actually confirms God's good character for us, which I believe this passage does. So again, instead of ignoring or revising or skipping over a hard passage like this one, We're just going to study this morning. Is that all right with you all? 
I heard yup from one person in here and one person in the venue. Is that all right with y'all? Okay, okay. So wh where is Tyre and Sidon? Jesus withdraws to Tyre and Sidon. He is in Galilee, and he goes up 40 or 50 miles to the northwest to this region called Tyre and Sidon. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that this was a region that was uh, characterized by arrogance and haughtiness. And in the book of Isaiah, this was one that God railed against on many occasions. It's a nation there on the border of the Mediterranean Sea, again, northwest of Israel, modern-day Lebanon. And it's there that Jesus withdraws from Galilee to go to minister to international people, and he meets a Canaanite woman, it says. A missiologist by the name of Claude Hickman points out that two-thirds of Jesus' major miracles were done for internationals. Did you know that? Two-thirds of his major miracles done for internationals. I just missed that in many of my readings of the Gospels. And this is the most international of all of his miracles because it's the only one that is done outside of what, would call, of what would then be called Israel, today be called Israel and Palestine. This is the only one that's done in a foreign nation, in Tyre and Sidon. So staying with me here, again, Tyre is this wealthy, powerful, prideful city. It's the kind of city that would look down its nose at other cities that thought it was all that in a bag of chips. You ever lived in such a city? I've lived in that kind of place that thinks it's just so much better than everyone else. Everyone else is just a bunch of country bumpkins compared to it. That's Tyre and Sidon. And then in addition to that, Tyre was known for its witchcraft, its occult practices that it was steeped in. It's not incidental at all that this woman comes to Jesus with what presenting problem? Her daughter has a demon. So perhaps she has been caught up in the witchcraft, in the occult, in the Ouija boards, so to speak, that were prevalent within Tyre. Now you add on top of that, she is a Canaanite woman. And if you know your Old Testament history, who did the Jews go to war with for the promised land? It was the Canaanites. So you have this long-standing opposition between Jews and Canaanites. Isn't this starting to sound a whole lot like what we talked about two weeks ago with the Jews and the Samaritans, two warring peoples? Well, so also here. And the Canaanites have this long-standing, by this time, 2,000-year-old history well, with the Jewish people back and forth. And there is Jesus. He didn't just kind of slip and fall and end up in Tyre and Sidon. He intentionally went to it. And he's interacting there, well, with this Canaanite woman who he's not supposed to be talking to. I think I've mentioned this before in this room, but you remember that there were Jewish teachers of the day, Pharisees were their names, and they would regularly look down their nose at other people, and they would pray about other people. They'd pray to their God about other people. Don't ever do that. They'd pray down at people. And one of their common prayers, famous prayers, was, I thank my God that I am not a woman. I thank my God that I am not a Gentile. I thank my God that I am not a dog. And I think Jesus is actually subtly referring to that when he says, don't you know, lady, that Jewish teachers like me, though I'm a different kind of Jewish teacher, but Jewish teachers like me call you a Gentile dog. But here I am now talking with you. 
Yet in spite of all that background, he goes out of his way to converse with her. This should tell us that there's more going on in this passage than presently meets the eye. Don't you wish that you could have seen Jesus' nonverbals in this moment? I mean, social scientists tell us all the time that the majority of the communication act is given not so much through the words that we say, but the way that we say it. And so things like gestures and tone of voice and facial expression really matter a great deal. And so it's possible, I suppose, that Jesus could have his eyebrows raised, looking like this, down his nose at the woman, who are you? Don't you know I've come only for Israel? Talking like that. But does that sound like the character of Jesus to you? It doesn't sound like the character of Jesus to me. We can't know for sure, but I tend to think that perhaps in this episode, he's looking at her like this, smiling at her, maybe a twinkle in his eye. Don't you know that I'm a Jewish man and I've come for other Jews and Don't you know what the Jews say to you? Kind of cajoling her, inviting her to keep on asking, inviting more faith from her. Which he continues to stay there and talking to her, and she asks him three different times to help her out. Perhaps he's kind of teasing her, inviting more faith out of her. How much faith do you really have in this foreign teacher that you are coming to? We we can't know that for sure. But I think the fact that, that... We know about Jesus' character in other places would point to that. And the fact that he's interacting with her, he didn't just happen upon Tyre and Sidon, he went to Tyre and Sidon as a missionary. And the fact that he's inviting her repeated questions would indicate that there's more going on here than meets the eye. Does that make sense? In addition to that, there's two different words in the Greek language. I don't want to get into the weeds here, but there's two different words in the Greek language for dog. Just one word in English, but there's two words in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written for dog. And over in Matthew 7, well, when Jesus used the word dog, do not uh, give to dogs what is holy, he says. He's using the word for stray dogs. Now, what's a stray dog? If you spent any time in a third world nation, you've probably seen stray dogs. Uh, My wife's family is from India, and so we've had the privilege of going back to India on a number of occasions. And the last time we went was probably seven years ago now, well, when my uh, older son was two years old. And we brought Elijah to India with us, and we stayed with her uncle and auntie um, in South India. And while we were staying there, there were stray dogs all around uncle and auntie's home. And those stray dogs looked like these. And they would circle around, and sometimes they looked nice, but you stay away from those stray dogs. They are wild dogs. And there are a couple dogs, particularly around their home, that would circle really close to the house. And they would smile and they'd look really, really nice. And so we had to teach Elijah, age two, you have to stay away from these two particular stray dogs that are always around. And they're around so often that uncle and auntie nicknamed these stray dogs Bush and Obama. <laughs> I am not joking. Those were their nicknames. And so we had to tell Elijah, I know those dogs seem really cute and nice, but stay away from Bush and Obama. You never know what they might give to you. All true. 
That's a stray dog that he refers to over in Matthew 7. In this passage, Matthew 15, he's referring to household pets. A different word altogether. And so he says, don't you know I came for the lost sheep of Israel? And it wouldn't be right to take what is to be given to the children of Israel, my own children, the apple of my eye, and give it to the household pets. That wouldn't be right to neglect my own children and first feed the household pets. And she is undeterred. You've got to see her response. She persists. And she says to Jesus in verse 27, well, masters love their household pets too. And even the golden doodles get to eat the crumbs from the table. That's what she says to him. You didn't know you were getting a lesson on canines today, did you? She persists. I, I think Jesus is simply stating here what Paul says in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the good news of God's salvation for all people. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of salvation for all people, but first for the, say it, first for the, for the Jews, and then second for the, for the Gentiles. And this was always God's plan. He came to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great people. And I'm going to choose in my providence to start with you, to make one specific nation, and out of you to make a very different people that then will go off and bless all other people. I'm going to make of you a great nation, but I'm going to start with you, the apple of my eye. And you are going to go out and you're going to bless the other nations. Even Canaanites will be blessed through them. Look at, look at Genesis 28, verse 14, and read this out loud with me, if you would, both in the auditorium and the venue. Let's, let's uh, read this out loud together. Genesis 28, 14, please join me. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. You see, we are blessed not for ourselves. We are blessed not for ourselves. We are blessed to bless. God blessed you to bless someone else. God blessed Israel that she would be a blessing for other nations. The big idea that you got to take home today is that God is on mission across the world and in our neighborhoods. He is a missionary who changes humanity one nation at a time, one neighborhood at a time, one family at a time, one person at a time. And he blesses that person, family, neighborhood, or nation that it would bless the other nations and families and neighborhoods and people all around them. And what has happened at this point in Israel's history is Jesus had come for his own. You remember that he came to Nazareth. He was rejected by his own home people in Nazareth. He was rejected by many, many Jews, and many others embraced him. But these two great poles had developed within Israel that some people were all for him and following him and saying, yes, this is the Savior. 
And we're going to follow him. We're going to go after. We're going to follow him wherever he leads us. And then others say, kill him. Kill him. Two great poles rising within Israel. And the irony of all ironies in the midst of this is as many of the power structure in Israel is trying to kill him, magi from Iran come and embrace him. And a Samaritan woman from contemporary Palestine embraces him. And a Roman centurion from Italy embraces him. And even a Canaanite woman with a demon-possessed daughter embraces him. And he invites them in. And he drinks from their cups. What a model this woman is for us. Three times in this short passage, she begs for Jesus' help. And I think, again, Jesus kind of tests her faith, and the disciples shoo her off. Get this riffraff out of here, they are saying. But she begs all the more. She falls on her knees, begging him. Do you approach, do you approach God this way in faith? Do we persevere in our prayers? as she did? Do we exercise the limited faith that we have going to him persistently? You see, sometimes God grows our faith as we persevere. Isn't that true? It's as we persevere that sometimes God grows our faith. When you persevere in prayer, that's when you experience a growth spurt. It's much like this as we're raising our own kids. I mean, when you're teaching your little five-year-old boy or girl how to ride a bike without training wheels, you don't just hold them the whole time. You, you might hold on to the back of their seat for a while, but then eventually they need to learn how to fall, don't they? And get back up again. Then eventually they need to learn how to skin their knee and get back up again and persevere. At least that's a dad's philosophy. Moms? You, you persevere as you do it. And so it is in our faith. We persevere as we go through trials. Our resolve is deepened. As we persist in prayer, our faith is deepened. So after the third straight request, Jesus turns to her and says, A woman, wow, great is your faith. Verse 28, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Because... Dear lady, you didn't cross prayer off your checklist in order to be done with it. But you kept on in prayer. Out of great faith, you kept on in prayer. And so, I praise you and I release your daughter from that demon. So, putting boots to the ground, how is our faith deepened as we persevere when things aren't quite going our way? What steps can we take to persevere and thereby grow our faith? I'd like to suggest two. The first one is this. We act on the limited faith that we do have. You may not have a ton of faith today, and that's okay. Jesus said he will take your mustard seed of faith and turn it into the greatest tree in the whole garden. Okay? So you act on the limited faith though, that you have. You have a very small smidgen of faith, just a crumb of faith. Act on that. You see, the brilliance of this woman's faith is not that it was huge. 
It's that she placed it in a huge Savior. It's not about my faith in me. It's not about even how big my faith is. It's about the object of my faith. It's about the object of your faith. Placing your faith in a great Savior and then choosing to act out of it makes all the difference. And so you might be feeling a nudge right now. You say, I feel like there's someone in this room that I should be praying for. Well, act on it. Go out of your way and pray for that person. Get vulnerable. There's someone in my neighborhood who doesn't know Christ. And I've known them for decades, but I've never shared with them the hope that I have. Will you act on it? My marriage is not right. And that makes me feel vulnerable. And when I feel vulnerable, I don't want to encourage. Go ahead and encourage. Act on it. And God then grows your marriage. And so also, as you act on doing the things that he wants you to do, he will grow your faith. Almost every faith spurt that I've had in my life has come in response to acting on what God has revealed. But my faith has been diminished when I have chosen not to act on what God has revealed. Second, we persevere in asking. We grow in our faith as we learn to increasingly depend on and ask God for what He alone can do. You, you see, here in Kearney, we're a very able-bodied people. We're able to get things done on our own. And so dependence on God can sometimes go out the window. And part of what God would want to do in order to grow our faith is help us to depend on Him more and more. And the greatest means for depending on Him more and more is prayer. Generally, the way we pray is this. Someone asks us to pray, and we say, yes, I'll pray, and we do it once, maybe. We do it once, and we say, I'm done with that, cross it off my list. But again, this model that Jesus gives with this woman is, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, in the words of Matthew 7, because in asking, it will be given to you, in seeking, you will find, in knocking, the door will be open to you. God's model for prayer for us is to persist, to persevere in prayer, to keep on asking because that grows in us a dependency not on self, which is the natural way of doing things, but a dependency on God. The greatest way to grow your faith, please hear me, friends, if you're struggling with faith today, the greatest way to grow your faith is ask God for something specific. Ask God for something specific that couldn't happen accidentally. Write it down, pray over it daily, multiple times per day, don't quit on it for months, and see what God does. And then as he responds, as he answers that prayer, as he's done so many times in my life, your faith soars. Your trust in God soars through that. We would grow in dependency as we persevere in asking. Now, you, you may still have some questions about this story. I still have some questions about the story that I will ask Jesus when I get to heaven. But here the book ends the story. Don't miss this as it relates to the mercy of God and the missionary character of God. It begins with him going 40 miles out of his way to another country. And it ends with healing a foreigner's daughter 
whom his people had been in war with for many, many years. That's the bookends of the story. This is our missionary God. Moreover, we tend to forget the very uh, personal application of this passage. Who is this woman? It's us. I mean, do you realize this, is a, this woman is us? She's a Gentile, right? Are you a Gentile? Uh, maybe a few of us in this room are ethnically Jewish, but the vast majority of us in this room, in this room are this woman. We are Gentiles. But someone responded to the invitation of God and chose to come to America and be a missionary for us. And therefore, we are included in the great number of God's people. At one time, we were not included. At one time, we were Gentiles far from him. Now we are included, the very people of God. We are this woman, and he is our God. Can I get an amen? amen. This is a message for us. In a very real sense, we are this Canaanite. But God is on mission across the world and in our neighborhoods, and he invites us to join him. He invites us to join him in this. And what a joy. This is why. This is part of the reason why we're offering this Saturate Conference that you just heard about from Pastor Kevin and you heard about from Kay Wolford. And I love the way she put that. How do I live for God Monday through Saturday? And when the church chooses to live for God Monday through Saturday, it makes a difference and revival breaks out. When the church chooses to live for God throughout the week, then we get opportunities to testify to the goodness of God in our words and in our actions. And what we want is increasingly to have a church that says, oh, it ain't all, it ain't all about Sunday morning. Sunday morning is important, but it's so much about what happens throughout the week that God would maybe make me a missionary to my neighborhood or my workplace or my family, enable me to be a disciple of Christ, walking with him each and every day. If you want to grow in that, I encourage you to come to that conference. Even if you can't afford the $35 that it costs, let us know. We'll give you a scholarship. It is very, very important. It's great, great stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let me close here with one final map. Take a look at this map. Let me ask you one final question from that map. Where does God want you on that map to be on mission with him? Is there someone in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your family, that he would invite you to be a missionary for his sake for that person. And if you're anything like me, you probably are going to begin to think, oh, that person will never come to Christ. <laughs> you ever thought that? Well, the Canaanite did. The Canaanite woman did. Oh, that, that person, Adrian, you don't understand. She is so liberal. She would never come to Christ. He is so stinking conservative, he would never be a good candidate for Christ. Uh, I don't understand her culture. She's probably not a good candidate for Christ. I don't understand his politics. He's probably not a good candidate for Christ. I don't understand her lifestyle. She's probably not a good candidate for... Do you have someone in mind 
in that little region that we just put up on the screen that you would say, they're probably not a very good candidate for Christ. Can I tell you, no one is beyond the long arm of the Lord's love. Someone would have said of me 20 years ago, there is no way, given his background, that he would be a good candidate for Christ. I promise you many people would have said that about me. But what Jesus does is come to the least, the last, the lost, the left out, the lonely, and the forgotten, including you and me, and he invites us to his very self. And we get to join him. Praise God. Praise God. We get to join him in that mission. So would you pray with me that we would actually join him in that mission? I, I don't want to just do a prayer right now that is a segue between us and the worship team. Sometimes we do those kind of transition prayers. I want to do a prayer of commitment right now. Would you join me in a prayer of commitment? Maybe you've heard something today that relates to how you're thinking about a neighbor. Maybe you've heard something today that relates to how you're thinking about your role as a missionary or how you think about other people that are very different than you or how you think about prayer. I want to give a prayer of commitment with you right now. So close your eyes with me. No one's looking at you and pray with me. Father in heaven, how I thank you that you are on mission for the world that you've sent your son to go onto mission for the world, and you chose to come to us. We are goyim, as the Hebrews said. We are Gentiles, and yet you came to us, God. Yet you came to us when we were far from you. You made us your people when we were not your people. You tell us that you'll be our God when we were far from you. I look over my own life and I see how far I was from you, steeped as I was in other religions. And you came to me and you rescued me. Oh, I bless you and praise you, Father. And I am reminded today, Lord, that evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all it is. It's not one person that has it all together. It's one beggar telling another beggar, this is where I found bread. So do you have someone in your neighborhood or your family that you've given up on? You stopped praying for. Would you raise your hand right now? Would you raise your hand right now if you'd say, I, I've just quit. I've quit. I see so many hands raised right here, and I'm sure there are many in the venue. And I pray for these people right now who are raising their hands, who have quit praying, quit reaching out to these people. Lord, that you give them power to keep praying and not give up, to keep reaching out for them and not give up. And I imagine there are probably others in this room here today who would say, I have quit on prayer. Prayer has become merely a ritual for me. I do it before mealtimes, but I don't do it with any zeal. And, and I don't interact with the Lord, and I don't believe he even hears me. Would you just confess that to God right now by raising your hand if that's true of you right now? There ain't no shame in that. You just admit it, and you ask God for help with it. I've been there too. I've been there too. I know many hands are raised. Many other people are thinking it right now. 
I've been there too. Father, would you give us a zeal? Would you give us a desire to come before you in prayer? Would you heal that in us? That we really do not depend on you. Would you heal in us, God, that we actually would, that we would see you come through and answer to some of our prayers. And we would pray and pray and not give up and we would co-labor with you. God, would you heal those who say, I don't depend on God, I don't really trust in him right now. And would you grant them a new capacity to persevere in asking? And I, I can't help but wondering if there's, if there's people in this room even today that, that they really have never bowed their knee to Jesus. And, and they're like that Canaanite woman. And, and they know they haven't been God's people before. And if you're in that spot, what is preventing you from coming to him today? Could it be that he is actually drawing you to his loving arms right now? And maybe you'd say, no, I, I got to wait till I'm all cleaned up. Well, was this woman cleaned up? No, she was not. I, I can't believe because my parents don't believe. Well, this woman's parents didn't believe either. Or I can't believe because my friends don't believe. Well, guess what? Her friends didn't believe either. Or I can't believe because I don't have all the answers. She did not have all the answers. She had a simple faith. And this is the only answer you, you need to know this morning. This is it. God loves you. He gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you. He desires to forgive you now of every sin to fill you with the Holy Spirit and to reconcile to you, to God for all eternity, to give you new hope. So if you know you're not right with God right now, perhaps you've slid away from Him, would you raise your hand and commit to giving yourself back to Him? Thank you. Thank you, two people in the back. Amen. Thank you, ladies. And if you're in a spot today, you say, I've never actually bowed my knee to Christ. I've never actually said, Jesus, would you be Lord over my life? Would you forgive me of all my sins? I'm tired of trying to be Lord over my life. I'm tired, tired of trusting my own strength. It's not working. It's not working. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? And, and say, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. Is there anyone in here? Yes, one in the back. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for raising your hand. Yes. Thank you, brother, for raising your hand. Yes. Amen. Amen. The saints rejoice in heaven right now over those that just raised their hand. You, you got to understand that if you raise your hand just now saying, Jesus, would you forgive me? I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to be Lord over my life. He will do so now and forevermore, never allowing anyone to snatch you from his hand. And so let's all pray this together. Let's all pray this together, everyone together now. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins, of all my doubt, of all my failures. I thank you, Jesus, for taking the cross for me, for coming for me a Gentile. I choose now to live my life for you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray together. And all God's people say, amen, amen. Would you give God praise? Would you give God praise?
A number of people this morning gave their lives back to Christ. A number of people this morning committed to Christ today. Give God praise. If you gave your life to Christ today, please let us know that on that tear-off portion on the side of your bulletin or come up and talk to one of the prayer partners after service. Do not leave from this place. We want to journey with you in the next step of your spiritual development. Let's give God praise as we worship together, shall we?